0: Hello, and thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. Of a photograph from Yule Creek Canyon on the lower Rogue River in Southern Oregon. This image was photographed back in 2012, uh, I think at the end of September, beginning of October, while we were on a trip. And we had uh, made it down to uh, Southern Oregon where the Rogue River is, and we we drove back in about 20 miles into the, the wild and scenic section of the Rogue River and brought our tent down and camped out and backpacked for just a couple of days um, here at the Mule Creek Canyon and then at another spot near Blossom Bar. But this spot was really cool. We stayed here for a couple of days and it was at the beginning of the fishing season after the, the whitewater rafting trips uh, sort of start to slow down a bit. And down here at the lower Rogue section, the wild and scenic section, it's, it's more limited. There's a, a rate limit of the amount of, of uh, tour or, you know, amount of rafters or people on boats that can go through the wild and scenic section each day um i think to keep it pristine and natural but it's a really awesome spot the photograph was shot on film and it just really makes me think about how much uh how much finding the right type of light and the right environment for the photograph really makes it uh come together better so this is a fun fun image to put together uh, on the lower rogue river i'm sure there's probably a lot of other photographs that i'm going to try and find from lower rogue too You can see more of my work at billynewmanphoto.com. You can check out some of my photo books on Amazon. I think you can look up uh, Billy Newman under the authors section there and see uh, some of the photo books on film, on the desert, on surrealism, on camping. Some cool stuff over there. I'm out on a camping trip right now and I'm in the back of my truck on the tailgate uh, at a campsite. In the Fremont-Winema National Forest in South Central Oregon, pretty sure that's about where it would be. Maybe it's still Central Oregon. I think it's um it's still in the the mountain area before you drop down into the Great Basin uh, near the location that I was for the last podcast when I was uh talking about hanging out near that cabin uh, near a meadow. And uh, since then, I've I've been driving. Uh, kind of around through these uh forest service roads uh checking out different campsites that are laid out in some areas uh, a lot of area up here i think um i think when I was, I was looking at my watch and it says we're about 4900 feet i think i was about 5200 feet near maybe the higher parts that i was at but yeah this is this is pretty high up here um i think i saw a little bit of snow on the ground in a spot a while back when i was driving a little shady spot that I hadn't been uh been uh been warmed up which is i don't know it's weird to see in august not much snow out here though you know by any means so um i think i was up here in the springtime in a different area kind of further down and lower in elevation and uh, i think it was early april and i could get a ways up the mountain but i think i got snowed out really quickly before before you really even break into you know the the forest service roads that are up here even even the more uh, well-traveled ones just weren't uh, maintained through the winter Th- these are gravel roads out here it 's like a cinder cone that 's crushed up and then spread across the roads, or uh, I think uh, further to the west they 're still using gravel. I think I crossed over from Klamath County now into lake County as uh, i 've been making my way I think uh, on the the map app that i 've got that x off road app that i 've been using a lot out here it 's really been uh, uh, a good benefit to have uh, a, a road map of all of these uh, Forest Service roads and all the trails and uh, the terrain and stuff that I'm I'm looking around, but uh, but yeah, it really helps uh, kind of scan around and, and see what's around you and, and how to get through some places. But I mean, you you'll have like just real tiny ATV trails. Troublingly, though, I think I mentioned they're not really. <laughs> totally differentiated with notes on uh, how bad each different road is it's just a a solid green line that says you can drive on it and it might be a a well-graded gravel road that's wide like a like a highway or it might be a really small and brushy like overgrown power line road that kind of cuts along a property line that's what i was on yesterday for about a half hour and i was like man I probably would have taken that main way around if I had realized it would do this. That's the thing that gets you, too, because it'll be a good road for about three miles, you know, or long enough that you're like, ah, I don't really want to turn around. And then it'll kind of gradually creep in and creep in more slowly. I suppose less and less people have gone out as far as that to keep the road uh well-traveled and maintained but yeah you get that that the ruts of the tires and then you get the center strip where you're getting like a bunch of seedlings of trees these evergreen trees that are growing up about two feet three feet or so and they haven't really been topped off or knocked over by other uh, trucks going through maybe there's i don't know higher clearance vehicles that go through most of the time but uh, even in this truck it's uh, i'm still just kind of scraping across the, the bottom of uh, these tiny little seedlings that are all over the place um So, I don't know. It's okay. It's okay kind of floating around. But I think I made it around like 70 miles or so from the last place that I was camping. And I'm now uh, up in the hills at an area out by uh, a big lake. Well, I think it's a reservoir. And I think this area, there's like kind of a natural depression. It's only, I don't know, 20, 25 feet lower. But I think what they've done is they've dammed up an area down from here. And then I've created a reservoir up here, I think, to supply water to the town and farmland that's down lower in elevation from here um, which is kind of cool it's interesting how it's uh, sort of laid out like this up here but i've been walking around up here for a little bit and i think i'm the only person up here in this area um i think there's a uh like a forest service campground that's a little ways over it's pretty undeveloped too there's a i think there's like i don't, I don't think there's running water there I think there's a boat ramp or something. That's about it. And there's signs that give you information. Really out here, though, it's just it's just undeveloped camping. Um, but there's a picnic table at the spot I'm at. Pretty big rock pile fireplace with a fire grate over it. Uh, it looks like it was a hunting camp up here. I see uh, I see a couple uh, log poles that are stretched across a tree at probably twelve feet and eight feet or so. Uh, I think that's what they use when uh, like in the fall when they start doing their uh, when hunting season comes into effect and I think this area gets a little more flooded out with uh, with people that have drawn tags to go mule deer hunting um, and I think if they if they fill their tag then they'll use these poles to I guess like prep the meat as it uh, as they get it back into camp but uh, it's a cool little camp it's a big area too it's it's a there's a swing too there's like a rope swing with a wood board at the bottom that you sit on you can swing around a a pine tree up here a lot of pine trees what is it lodgepole pine is that what it's called i think that's what i saw on a sign that said this is an experimental forest and they're you know they're testing there you know regrowth of uh a lodgepole pine i think i see what they're talking about they're just real straight real thin not a lot of curvatures and stuff so i figure like what they do is or like a lot of the the i don't know log houses or you know poles that we see are are from trees like this Pretty exciting, wow! Uh, but uh, I've been walking around out here. Uh, still a good bit of trees in this area, but uh, a little bit further out for me. Like I was saying, is that lake bed? But it's it's really dry right now. There's kind of like a creek flowing through part of the center of it. I'm sure they probably fill it up in the winter time. I got to remember it's August too, and if I remember right, it wasn't a heavy rain year. Is that true? It seemed really rainy this winter, but if I remember them talking about the watershed, they are still talking about how it's sort of a drought year again. Take a sip of my cold coffee that I made up earlier. I got my AeroPress out with me, and then I picked up a, another Jetboil. I have had one years ago. Jetboils are like one of the best uh, camping inventions that have been around for a while. If you don't have a good uh, portable stove and you're going out a lot, it's it really makes things a lot easier and a lot more comfortable. Um but uh, but yeah, I've I've gone uh, without making a fire anytime this year, and in the summertime out here, I keep seeing signs, as I've kind of learned in the past too, that uh, during fire season, there's there's really like no no good way, uh, or at least no legal way to have an open fire pit, you know, like a rock pit with some logs in it. I think is uh, frowned upon up here. I think they've had a lot of forest fires and stuff up here. Um, from from stuff like that, but uh, but yeah, I've uh, I've really kind of tried to avoid making campfires, but for circumstances where I feel like I'd really need it. In the winter time, I have more fun with that sort of stuff. But what I've noticed the most with uh, with camping for multiple days and setting up campfires is that is that you really get sooty and you get dirty a lot faster. You, you, you your your clothes are kind of impregnated with the smell of uh, like a wet smoke and stuff. And uh, and I don't I. I've not really appreciated the way I feel with that. So, uh, so yeah, I've kind of found that um, by doing just a couple lighter things and also by following the fire regulation rules, um, I can kind of uh, stay a little bit more comfortable while I'm out camping and stuff. So I'm not really in the backcountry. I'm not doing like a big, um, a big expedition hike backpacking deep into the wilderness or anything. I've got my truck here. I've got a cooler, I've got a stove and all that stuff. But, uh, but even when I'm out, Camp in or backpack in and stuff the jet boils just like it's a pound or less or something I don't know it's great it's just uh, an easy thing to carry and and uh and travel around with um so yeah, I lit it up this morning, made my coffee I got my aeropress with me, which I think is probably my preferred camping coffee making method if you haven't had an aeropress um it's probably one of the the easier and well eh, i don't know it's been it's been fine to make a single cup of coffee now if you got like four people and you want to all have coffee at the same time might not be a great solution it's pretty tough you can kind of do one cup of coffee at a time for me out here it works great you can throw in a scoop it's kind of like plastic i think it's made by aerobee you know the you know when you were in, in elementary school and you play frisbee it was like an aerobee frisbee they make like frisbees i think they're like a plastics company and they try and find different uses for these plastics that they're creating so, I guess it's some high temperature plastic, and it's a coffee maker, Wow, so you get these little filters you throw them in. you can probably look it up online to figure out what an Aeropress is, but yeah, filled up my coffee and stuff and uh made my cup and my camping cup, and threw some half and half in there that I had in the cooler and it's already it's already cold, so it's okay but uh other camping uh tools that I found super useful was uh like I was saying, I don't really have a heater or I don't have a fireplace that I'm using or, you know, like a, a fire ring or I'm not bringing wood with me, uh, through this time of year. But what I did pick up is, a uh, is just like a portable propane heater. I've seen these used by a couple other people before, but it's sort of the size of a briefcase or so. And it's, it takes one of those, um, uh, portable green propane pans you can pick up for three or four bucks at a, at a store. And you throw that in there, Yeah light the pilot light and then it's got this uh like ceramic pad that i don't know throws off heat Uh, so it's great to have and that's really like my fireplace replacement as exciting as that sounds but it's pretty safe working really well been really uh stable and, and easy to use but yeah i got my tailgate down and i've got that um that heater going and at night it's a it's about as good as a fire you know and you don't have any of the uh the exhaust or the smoke and stuff coming off of it so uh it's a nice clean heat source and stuff and it's fun too if you want to move you're like oh you know I'm, I, I like my camp but let's walk out over here like what i did last night is a uh i shut the heater off well i was after i made dinner and i was sitting at my truck and then i walked out probably about a 100 yards into that open area as so you're getting near the edge of the the lake bed and then i sat down over there and then kicked the heater on again boom i'm set up and hanging out and warm and uh yeah it it gets cold up here at night really i think the last last couple of days have been kind of chilly well at least like uh yesterday was pretty cold for i don't know a day in august uh you think it'd be you think it'd be a hot one but uh but yeah it was pretty pretty cool yesterday I think it was probably like seventy three degrees as a high It was really comfortable or I appreciated that as opposed to the heat like i was i was knocked out by the heat i think it was like around a hundred uh when I was out in the John day area a few weeks back and man yeah i was just wiped out by that but uh it was i don't know it was 100 degrees i'm driving around my truck with the windows down i don't have ac in this thing and i just uh like (laughs) i have this my mask right it's a gator you know everybody's got a mask nowadays so i've got one of these gators and i would just constantly be like dunking that in ice water and then like using that to cool off but man uh yeah throwing that around your neck when it's covered in ice water is a great way to cool off i think that was you know like some i don't know some uh some like gimmicky product back in the early 2000s was something like that where you'd uh you'd fill up like some some thing wrap it around your neck and it had ice cubes and water in it you'd go on a walk and stay cool in the summer another sip of cold coffee but yeah having this heater out here has been great uh going out uh to anywhere you want setting up a chair setting up a heater it's a pretty comfortable way to, to do some stuff and it worked Works well for doing some photo stuff too because you can just kind of take off from where you're at take your camera bag take this little heater and then uh set up your tripod sit down set up your camera stuff get your shots ready for like that evening time and you can sit there pretty comfortably and just uh you know stay warm and stay pretty comfortable and um uh, i wouldn't really take it too far out you know if i was uh if i was traveling uh pretty far but if it's uh if it's just kind of like a short short little jaunt down to a spot where i'm fishing or uh where i'm uh going to be taking some photos it seems like it's been working pretty good for that sort of stuff but um, but yeah kind of fun having a a couple of things around i brought uh, a few other things but i don't know i'll probably get into the other camp stuff later um it's been pretty smooth though camping out here and uh, traveling around i've been trying to do uh, some more rock hounding stuff Uh, i was learning about uh, some of the privileges that you have on public lands to do rock hounding, it's cool. You can look this up yourselves too. But uh, but I think there's uh, uh, like rock hounding. It's like I don't know the the hobby of going around and collecting interesting rocks that you find, uh, you know, out while you're traveling around. And so uh, legally, you still get to pick those things up from public land areas, unless there's some specific restriction in that area. But uh, but yeah, you can go around and do rock hounding all you want. So I think it's it's most common stones that you can you can just pick up. Uh, with no, or you know, it's just your right on public land to pick up uh, the the rocks that you come past. So it, it's been kind of cool going around and picking up um, up here. I've been seeing a bunch of um, obsidian in raw form and stuff, which is pretty cool. Uh, coming across some jasper, some agate, some quartz, some petrified wood. That's been cool. I think last week I found a chunk of petrified wood when I was walking around, and I thought, hey. Nice. Cool. I like this. And uh, there's some areas in Oregon where there's more of that than uh, than others. I think it was part of part of the land development of, of how I guess how much wood would have been trapped quickly under mud. Is that what it is? I don't know. There's some there's some like specific process of how petrified wood gets created from. Uh, really old trees, and you know like uh, how that that uh, mineral change happens, so I was learning about agate too agate's from wood also i didn't really understand this, but I think agate's from when uh when a piece of wood is buried in lava from a volcanic flow, someone that knows about rocks really. Would probably be able to tell me more quickly, but uh, I think from something I was understanding recently. If you don't listen to it, check out the Meat Eater podcast. There's a bunch of really good stuff on there. Uh, I think it's hosted by Steve Ranella, and uh, they normally have like uh, some really good guests on to talk about. Uh, most of the time, it's through the focus, through the lens of uh, like hunting trips and stuff. But really, I've learned so much about uh, like outdoors, outdoor management. Uh, and then, you know, including stuff like this, like rock counting and geology and uh, all sorts of like uh, intersectional uh, ideas that are about the outdoors and outdoorsmanship. So really appreciated uh, kind of some of the things I've learned from that. But one of the things I learned from that from an episode, I think maybe back in early May, was about uh, some rock hunting stuff that they were doing where they were going out looking for agate. And I think they were out in the Yellowstone Valley where they were looking for agate. One of the things that they explained is from from one of the the old uh Yellowstone eruptions uh there was a flow of magma that covered a forest or you know a lot of trees and then what would happen is that once that wood was encased in magma the wood the carbon wood would burn away and then it would leave a pocket where that wood had been and then over a long amount of time water groundwater would seep into that pocket and then evaporate out but as it would seep in it would bring a certain set of minerals in it, and then as that mineral deposit would build, it would build an agate, and that's how you get these agate stones. I have this one at home that's, that's it looks like a it looks like an onion almost, or or like if you ever seen the cross section of a really big piece of hail, it's sort of like that where it's got all these different layers to it that have been created um, at different times at different stages as it developed. But it was pretty cool. Uh, yeah, uh, going around and trying to find some agate and uh, really cool stuff, uh, or really, really cool colors, really cool, uh, like, I don't know, just the, the, the clarity of some of them is, is awesome. It's really cool. Um, I think a little further out from here, you can start, uh, finding opal, which is cool. I don't think I've really found a lot of opal. I've heard a lot about that, uh, in the, I think, I think it's more common and more popular, like out in Nevada. I think like, Northwestern Nevada is pretty common for uh, finding opal or uh, deposits of opal rocks in that area. And and that's sort of similar to an agate, at least in the look of that kind of clear, uh, crystally uh look of a rock, which is, I don't know, it's always fun to find. Um, but I've been traveling around up here, and it's kind of high country up here. But uh, I've been traveling around and, yeah, trying to do some rock-counting stuff, trying to pick up some different things. And you really can find a a lot if you're keeping your eyes to the ground and uh, picking up pieces and chips and chunks of uh, of different rocks and stuff. And then you kind of collect through them and see what you got and what you want to keep and stuff. But as I was understanding the rules of rock-counting, you can get into, I think it's 25 pounds of rock a day from BLM land across Oregon. And I believe it's 10 pounds of rock Per day from national forest land really that's a lot of rock also in addition to that you can pick up one 25 pound or more specific specimen from I think each location so like if you find like one big rock that's I don't know uh, 50 pounds or 30 pounds or something like that you can can take that rock as well and not uh, be in violation of your rock hounding picking limits pretty pretty fun. But uh, it's cool. Yeah, you can go around and pick up a lot of stuff. And then I think it's with a maximum of 250 pounds collected from each uh, each property management location uh, through a year. So you can pick up 250 pounds of rocks uh, over the course of a year. And I think, well, yeah, yeah, you can't do that in a day, I suppose. Some of the information sort of um, sort of st- states both things. So <laughs> I'm not really sure which one it is, but, uh, from what I have understood from, from looking at the, uh, National Forest Service website, uh, I think there is some information about rock hounding in Oregon and, uh, and some of the areas that I was going to, but yeah, it was, uh, 25 pounds a day on BLM, 10 pounds a day on National Forest Land, and, uh, and yeah, that's cool, that's a lot, you can also go around and pick up firewood, which I didn't really know about, um, you, you need, like, a, a, a A permit in some circumstances if you're trying to collect it commercially but if you're collecting it for private personal use even just like home use uh, there's a lot of wood that you can uh, pick up from managed public lands some of them i think are there's like some specific areas where they want you to be doing that and some specific areas where they don't want you to be doing that i think if it's um well, I'm not sure. Not all downed wood, but I think if if a if it's down and it's collectible, I think you can collect that uh, in, in a lot of areas. Um, so yeah, I went through, like in the springtime, I went through an area of BLM land and I filled up my truck with, uh, with a bunch of uh, logs that had been taken down and I think stacked up in an area. And yeah, I just loaded up my truck and I have firewood for a while. You can get like a, a I think you can get it's, it's, it's a limit similar to the Rock County. So where you can get like a couple cords of wood a year and, uh, collect that for personal home use. I think if you're trying to sell firewood, then you have to go through the BLM or the forest service to get a permit for the area where you're going to be doing wood cutting. I've only just picked up downed wood that you'd pick up kind of like for a campfire or something like, you know, if you're going around trying to pick up firewood for a camp, um, it's kind of a similar process to that. I'm not really like uh, cutting down fresh trees and aging them, but, uh, but there's, there's a qualification for that too. You can go around and uh, if it's a a specifically designated area for that kind of a thing, uh, you can go around and and actually, you know, use a tool and cut down a tree and process it and take it home and uh, cover up your stump or something like that. You know, naturalize the stump that you cut. But, uh, but yeah, there's, there's a, a lot of stuff you can do out on public land. I wasn't really, quite, quite aware of in, in, uh, in the, every way. But, um, uh, yeah, it's been cool being out here doing some rock counting stuff, trying to find, uh, some, some cool pieces. Really a lot of obsidian is what I've been finding, which has been fun. Uh, a lot of, a lot of like volcanic rock stuff out here and some of them are cool, you know, but they're not, they're not, um, like, uh, I don't know. They're not like a gem or anything. It's just like, you know, a basalt stone from a volcano. Uh, But it's cool. Yeah, these uh, rock-handing stuff has been pretty good. You can check out more information at BillyNewmanPhoto.com. You can go to BillyNewmanPhoto.com forward slash support if you want to help me out and participate in the value-for-value model that uh, we're running this podcast with. If uh, you receive some value out of some of the stuff that I was talking about, you're welcome to uh, help me out and send some value my way through the portal at billynewmanphoto.com forward slash support you can also find more information there about uh, patreon and the way that i use it if you're interested or, or feel more comfortable using patreon that's patreon.com forward slash billy newman photo i've been eBaying around a lot and i found um like way back when i went to college right, I, had, I had a I ended up getting a laptop, which was fine, and it was cool. It was like a Windows PC, but I remember when I was in college, back in like oh seven, oh eight, oh nine, two thousand ten, two thousand eleven, 08, 2010, 2011, it kind of changed over the course of those years, but uh, I remember when I first got there, I really wanted that 13-inch black MacBook Oh, yeah, I guess it was just a MacBook. Yeah, you remember that one? The, they had, like, the white model and the black model MacBook for a while, these, like, 13-inch ones. And uh, I always thought they were really sweet. Like, uh, I think they kind of came out right as I was getting out of high school, and they were um, a pretty solid machine back in the day for, you know, a lot of, you know whatever it was, for, for college stuff. But, uh, but times, times have changed. Times have gone on. And uh, I was on eBay, and I saw one for, like, 60 bucks. I remember them being two thousand dollars, right? like the black one was kind of the souped up one that you had to pay more for, and you know in apple ways it was always it was always a lot more, and that was already hundreds of dollars more than probably what I was going to end up paying um, you know for for any kind of laptop computer I'd get back in college. So I saw this thing pop up uh, on uh, on eBay, and I was thinking, "Whoa, sixty bucks, I could swing sixty bucks to get." You know, this laptop that I would wanted that, you know, in my memory, I kind of remember is $2,200. Uh, so it seemed like a screaming deal, even though uh, really it's just time has elapsed. It's a decade later, and this is obsolete, antiquated computing equipment. But I bought this, uh, I bought this uh, MacBook body. It shipped out to me. It's a working laptop. It, it really is nice. I remember a lot of those black MacBooks that had this um, this design flower. This little clip at the top of the the screen would fold over, you know, as you would clamshell the the laptop down to close it. And this little tab would sort of break the keyboard plastic that was below. Either this one was replaced or an older person had it and never really got into it like that. But uh, it's super clean. Like it doesn't have that little greasy, wet puddle look on the on the uh, the the thumb, what is that, like the mouse pad piece? Uh, and, like, none of that, like, wear and stuff on it. So it's a super fresh computer, but it was cool, Um, and, but difficult. It's a little project thing, you know, like, uh, when I got it, it was running, I think it was running Leopard, which is the the Mac operating system that it probably would have first shipped with back in, like, 2007, maybe is when it was around. That was before they switched over from PowerPC to... Or I think as they were switching over, that was the last version that it was like cross compatible between like the PowerPC and the Intel Macs, is that right? And then they switched over to Snow Leopard, that was all Intel PC based stuff. And so uh, this computer was capable of it, it was Intel based, and, and uh, what I did is I had a, I wiped it and then uh, set it up again with uh what is it, like Mac OS 10.7, which I think it went from like 10.4 to 10.7, that was the like OS 10 Lion. This is the thing I was learning about the the Mac stuff is that they kind of, they kind of obsolete themselves after so many versions, right? Like, um, I think it can't run Mountain Lion. That's why I didn't end up installing it. And it can't run Mavericks, which is, you know, why I didn't end up installing it. Um, it's kind of interesting. I, I didn't realize that at first, but, uh, but yeah, I guess it's set up so that it's, it's supposed to go up to Lion and then stay there. And, you know, really in most ways, uh, like I have it with me today, it works, it works fine with Lion on it, but, um, but the other fun thing was, you know, since it's kind of like a project computer to do some stuff, I really never worked with, um, with Unix the way that I need to, or, well, really with Linux the way that I need to. And so I was trying to think, um, well, what if I do like a dual boot where I get everything working with uh, Mac OS X uh, Lion, and then I install some software to do a dual boot, and then I set up uh, a distribution of Linux Mint, which is like a linux distro. There's like uh, Ubuntu, that's a really big kind of consumer popular one. There's this other one, uh Linux Mint, and I installed that with the program, this is the file manager, program manager, window manager. It's Cinnamon, right? I think that's There's a few there's a few different ones. There's like Debian, there's Cinnamon. Maybe I'm all twisted. I think Debian's like a distro. I don't know anything about open source or Linux. It's way above me in most ways, really. But uh, but yeah, kind of for fun and and to be uh, to be up to a fun little project. I, yeah, I installed uh, Linux Mint on this uh, old laptop, and it really screams through. You know, it runs a lot like Windows Seven or something like that. It seems like pretty comparable in that way, and it's, you know, it's all free and um, it's kind of cool. I was uh, I was messing around with the Unix terminal in Linux in Linux Mint, and uh, it's kind of interesting, like uh, seeing some of the differences between like the Unix. Terminal work that you can do in Linux versus like what you can do on the Mac, and I was kind of noticing like the package installer system, like it was called like apt-get, where you can you can just type like apt-get, and then like space like you know the name of of some program in the, in the command line terminal, and it's like a package installer where it'll go out on the internet, it'll find the package where it is on a will get repository, I don't know. I don't know how any of this stuff works. And then it, it pulls that down and installs a package on your computer, all within the command line, all from like typing a couple of things. But it was just kind of a fun uh, sort of like power user thing that I was trying to get into. I've also been trying to get into um, using Nano, which is uh, like, it's, it's a word processor built into Terminal. I know you guys are really excited about this one. A word processor built into Terminal? Say what, Billy? Uh, it's a word processor that was uh, built into Terminal way back, like uh, when Unix was a file manager operating system where, you know, you had, like, a big hard disk. You had to make a document, put it in a file, and then, and then kind of search for or access that file later and, you know, have it contain the records or contain the information. I think, like, Stephen King wrote a bunch of books in this word processor, you know, just on, like, a super old system. DOS computer, mainframe computer, something like that. Uh, whatever you know would have run Unix, a Unix operating system, just a command line screen back in the '80s or whatever it was when you had a personal computer finally. Um, but yeah, the it's it's like a full screen app. It's got a black screen or you know, black background, and it's just like the notes app basically. But you, you do everything on the keyboard, and you kind of save files out. But I've been trying to do that as like a, a, a distraction removal system. You know, you kind of you pop into you pop into Unix. You do some of your stuff on the keyboard, on the command line. There's no visuals or, like, stuff that's popping up or getting in your way. And uh, I don't know. It's just kind of been an interesting way to do a little bit of work stuff. But, uh, but I'm trying to, like, go through. It. And I journal a little bit. Like, I write down, like, handwritten stuff. I write down a few things about, uh, like, a photo or, or something that I'm working on or, or one of these little ideas I'm trying to sort and draft. And um, I'll, like, write it out there a little bit. But then, like, while I'm at work, I'll, um, I'll throw open, you know, the laptop. I'll, and I'll, I'll pop into Nano. And then I'll, like, end up writing out the text document. Like, I'll draft it a little bit on the paper, and then I'll write it out. I'll type it up in Nano, and then I get the, the text document, you know, on the operating system. And I can put that or throw it out to wherever I want to. It's probably silly and unnecessary, but it's been kind of a fun uh, a fun way to make use of Unix for, uh, for something for a few days. So, I don't know, kind of cool stuff. But, uh, yeah, messing around with some Unix, some Linux, some old MacBooks. Thanks a lot for checking out this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. Hope you guys check out some stuff on BillyNewmanPhoto.com. A few new things up there, some stuff on the homepage, some good links to other other outbound sources, some, some links to books, some links to some podcasts, links to some blog posts. All pretty cool. But yeah, check it out at BillyNewmanPhoto.com. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode of the podcast. Talk to you next time.